You're listening to the second episode in an audio series brought to you by me, Cairo Clark, as part of this year's curatorial program, This Broken Piece of Yard, initiated whilst curatorial fellow at Lux. As the series unfolds, we'll hear from a variety of guests reflecting on navigating creative practices in artist film and moving image, unearthing the memories and reflections of black British film movements, co-ops and collective practices, shedding light on those who worked alone and offering space to those who've been marginalised in their field and across intersections of contemporary life. In this episode, I'm talking to Danielle Brathwaite-Shirley and June Giovanni about their archival practices across physical and digital spaces as they continue to reimagine who and what archiving can be for. Danielle Brathwaite-Shirley is an artist working predominantly in digital media to communicate the experiences of being a black trans person Their practice focuses on recording the lives of black trans people, intertwining lived experience with fiction to imaginatively retell trans stories. Spurred on by a desire to record the history of trans people both living and past, their work can often be seen as a trans archive where black trans people are stored for the future. Throughout history, black queer and trans people have been erased from the archives. Because of this, it is not only necessary to archive black trans existence, but also the many creative narratives used and continue to be used to share black trans experiences. June Giovanni is a London-based film curator, archivist and international consultant in African and African diaspora cinema for more than 35 years. Among many things, she set up and ran the BFI's African and Caribbean Film Unit and created the Black Film Bulletin with Gaylene Gould programmed Planet Africa at the Toronto International Film Festival and is known for her knowledge and experience in the field of Pan-African cinema generally. June continues programming at international festivals and she's currently developing the June Giovanni Pan-African Cinema Archive based on collections from her 35 years of working in the field. To start with, I really wanted to think about this notion of archiving as a tool and as a praxis. Um, and I'd kind of like to talk to you both about your relationships to archiving as individual kind of self-led custodians of the the work that you do. Um, and how, I guess, these archives have manifested um, in an entirely different way to the kind of museum or institutional kind of context that we know. Um, so thinking about this kind of reimagining of who and what we're collecting for, um, and I wanted to ask how you approach the role of kind of a researcher and an archivist and how that intersects with your practice as an artist, as a curator. Um, Danielle, I don't know if you wanted to start. So for me, I did a, this huge kind of delve into the archive to try and find Black trans people within it. Um, and often was met with either nothing or a very violent way of archiving from us. Um, And I was kind of tired of seeing that these archives were archiving, trying to archive our bodies, and at the same time erasing us because of the methods that they were using. Um, And usually the audience for the items or objects or information that was archived was not us. And so I wanted to make an archive um, or look at an archive in a way of saying, how can I make an archive that centers black trans people? And what would an archive with an audience of black trans people look like? And what would be the method of creating that? 
Um, and I, I hadn't come across any uh, Black Trans archives before. Um, and I know some do exist, but I, I couldn't find them at the time. And so in order to try and figure that out, um, I worked with a bunch of Black trans people to to answer those questions of how would we archive ourselves and what things would we need to put in the archive to protect and continue to center us and not have us erased again um, with the method that we're currently using. Um, and that's how we kind of got on in creating this online archive that's accessible that we install in different places um, and we update. So I'm, I'm showing it in uh, Melbourne and I'm going to work with black trans people in Melbourne um, in, and in Australia, which is a very different kind of blackness and transness um, when we had the con conversations, um, which is great because I don't want to archive them in the same way because the conversation, it wouldn't make sense for me to put this kind of uh, idea of how to archive them on top of them as it doesn't fit them. Hmm. Um, and so the way I kind of approach archiving is that um, the method needs to change each time depending on the group of people that we're trying to remember. Um, and if we don't change that method, you may cause some erasure without even realizing it. And so I guess my practice is morphing around those in order to remember them correctly. Yeah, it feels very much of a living, breathing archive as opposed to something that is kind of collecting, containing and, and sitting somewhere. And yeah, June, how, how does that, how do you feel kind of hearing that? I feel resonates with well yeah definitely um the whole reason for having this archive comes out of a curatorial practice for me I was a programmer and a curator and was doing that work focusing on pan-african cinema black cinema cinema of the African continent and of the African diaspora and of course very much with black British cinema at its core, because this is where I'm based, and uh, the Black British experience actually links quite um, significantly to many other parts of the world because of who we are. And mm. of course, at that time, at the time that I was, I started curating at the beginning of the 80s, it was the term black was a political term. So it definitely included. Uh, African Caribbean and Asian uh, people and it was around looking at and valuing uh, what we do in this medium of film mm -hmm. because very often it was seen as well cinema and certain high arts as as they were often called were thought to be the the arts or the uh, you know the area that, that only certain types of people and certain levels of recognition were possible. And so um, it was important that we are actually using uh, cinema and that people should recognize what was coming out of the African continent and also uh, the Caribbean, African-American and so, and value this work um, as cinema and also for it to be available to us as people and to be recognized um, around the world as something that can be used in many in many different ways. Um, I think 
that at the time we were talking about, uh, we were looking at, at cinema not only as entertainment, but also as um, a, a field of resistance, um, you know, with notions of things like third cinema behind uh, what we were doing. So it was an, uh, an area that, that was expansive and that, but it wasn't actually being recognized sufficiently. And as a curator, it was uh, really important to um, get as much of this material out there and for it to be recognized and valued, for filmmakers mm. to be recognized and valued. And so one of the important things to do with um, archiving Pan-African cinema is actually looking at the relationship between um, all of those areas, definitely between the African continent and the African diaspora. There's a, there's a historical, obviously, and a cultural and many different levels of the relationship and how that is presented through cinema. So mm. there were many different levels at which this would um, would would work or be important as a curator and that I would be looking for. But also um, in terms of how these cinemas provide context for, yeah. for various things that were happening, how they provide context for where we are now and what is happening in the world now, and yeah. also how they provided context for what was happening at the time that they were being developed. Mm. Yeah, it feels like that consideration of context and I guess of kind of um, further exploring or expanding on um, notions of what, not visibility only in a, a literal to be seen sense, but kind of, as you say, this like context of who and how and what and how all these things intersect with each other, I think is really interesting across um, what you both do and, and thinking about how it kind of how that context manifests in different ways in your work. I think, mm. um, you know, how you kind of choose to manifest um, and share the the works that you do in the archive and the curatorships in different mm. way. Um, and mm. how I think I'm interested in how that kind of building of a collection actually looks like for both of you. <laughs> well, um, for, for me... Um... I tend to use materials, well, I mean, as I mentioned, mine are from, from my, my role as a curator, and it was during the pre-digital era for a lot of what I've collected. So it's a very physical archive. So when I first started, because this is a lot of material that I've collected over the years, because filmmakers would give you tapes, they would give you VHSs or pneumatics or whatever. And they would give you physical publicity material, physical press packs, posters, um, material within, um, within um, you know, in, uh, for, for the films. But they would also do things like give you scripts. So, um, I mean, the format is quite wide-ranging uh, mm. in our archive, and it also includes audio material, you know, slightly, it's a living archive. So we are adding yeah. to it with new material that we, are, that we are doing. But that material comes in digitally while we're in a, 
uh, at the moment looking at gradually making more and more of our archive available di digitally. Yeah. But um, one of the things that we do need to do is to um, uh, um, stage exhibitions and screenings and various events and participate in various exhibitions to make that material available. Danielle, I guess for, for you, a digital space is um, really intrinsic to what you do and I guess to how you collect as well, kind of. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to that and also just how the gaming technologies you use in your work also help to address kind of gaps in, in the archives that you and, and the works that you create. Something that we I love to do is work with people that aren't particularly artistic or in any way, but just are people. Um, and put them in a situation where they're allowed to completely change how the archive will end up looking and make decisions based upon the foundation which we will use to archive others. Um, and this, this kind of creates the context in which we will then house them and how people will be able to act, interact with them. Um, for example, Black Trans Archive uh, originally we didn't think it was going to be a game straight away. That wasn't something that uh, instantly jumped out at us. But the question was raised that if this archive is accessible and online, how do we make sure we continue to center black trans people when anyone can access it? And so um, the, the audience became a kind of a point of contention because for us, the most important thing was those in the room and those like us who weren't in the room. Um, and anyone else would kind of other, we wanted to make an autonomous archive that could react to the audience because I don't ask for specific information. I allow them to, to tell me and lead me in the ways. I kind of yeah. am just someone who's creating the environment for those conversations to happen rather than um, someone who's, who's asking particular questions. Um, mm -hmm. But it does mean at the end that we, it makes something that doesn't really belong to any of us, but kind of is part of our community and the context that we created. Yeah. Um, often people are looking to see certain things from black trans bodies um, because there's a, I guess, like a fascination for them. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to completely avoid that um, because, you know, black kind of tourism and trans tourism is a real thing within the arts and a real thing within archives. So often you won't find trauma recreated within the archives we make because we know that's something that, that will become the focus, even though it's not. Yeah. Um, and so instead, we have conversations around um, building, building stories and narratives um, around an experience and some, someone's real experience um, to show the like, depth and nuance of what mm. it means to be someone who can have those experiences, but should not be defined by them and never will be defined by them. Mm. Um, so... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, the thing is, within a sort of an uh, an archive, for instance, like ours, there's variety and there's range, and exactly. people do sometimes misuse it for their own ends. Um, but what that variety and that range is, and of course, some of it is conflicting because yeah. you're talking about <laughs> communities of people of different right. eras and of different geographic 
um, um, uh, dimensions. Um, it's it's very it's very expansive, and so um, the films themselves actually include archives that center black people. It's so when you have materials, um, it's it's sort of redefined by the people who come to search the material, who come to look for things. They bring their agendas. And that is why, um, you know, when people ask about the archive, we always say it's a living archive because we do want people who are coming to it to bring, they, they can bring their, their search and what they know and what they don't know as well. And they can, can uh, research into it. And the hope is that that, that interaction between the archive and the people coming to search it will enrich the archive mm. and will enrich them. But there is also the other side of it where, where it can be misused if, if, if it's not um, valued or its purpose is, is not clear. Yeah. But also the other way things get misused is when they are put into other categories mm-hmm. um, that other people see them as. I mean, right. you know, we're continually being asked for our our archive to go into um, other institutions, especially yeah. maybe universities, and so mm-hmm. to be part of their of their libraries. And there is a big question about how we categorize things in our archive, mm-hmm. and what would happen to those categories when they go into another archive, mm-hmm. where yeah. the the colonial <laughs> um, thinking. Or they, unless they recognize the significance of, of what this archive is, the potential is and value it, it's, it's not going to be treated in the way it should be. Yeah. So I think um, we use the archive and other people use it as well for reference, for sources of inspiration, uh, obviously material to curate and to share with others. So it's... And all of that sometimes has very subjective, is a very subjective process. Yeah. So um, it's important that people, A, are honest with themselves and with what they want to do. And I think it is also, um, it is useful because to the archive as well, because it, you know, a living archive does need to engage with new, new, approaches, new thinking mm. with new generations um, that help to to keep it um, or challenge it and to, yeah. or to keep it vital. And yeah. all of that is, is possible. And I think, yeah, it's really, it's really just whilst you're speaking, speaking about that, I was thinking about, you know, there's a level of transparency in, in, you know, what you're kind of setting out with in terms of the kind of intentions uh, behind archive um, and the and the reason why you're kind of choosing to archive. But then I thought it was really beautiful that you kind of mentioning that the people interacting with it have to be honest with themselves as to why they're here. And I think that stands for yes. both of the the work that yes. you do. And then it's really then about thinking about where you're kind of situated through the archive within the archive. And maybe maybe you're actually not. And maybe that comes a moment to kind of consider how you interact with it and why and I see that through 
you know, the kind of prompts um, and the conditions and um, that you kind of create around your work in a, in a gallery setting, Danielle, but also as well as uh, online and also for your archive, June. And I think one thing I'm interested in is that you've both been described as archival activists, which um, I find quite great. I'm really into that. Um, and yeah, I think kind of it's it's about this notion of not only bearing witness, but also situating ourselves, like I said, within a lineage, whether that be of African Caribbean diasporas, whether that be as, as trans queer people, as filmmakers, as artists, curators. Um, and I'm just interested to kind of think through what archival activism means to you both. Mm. Yeah, for me, I guess, um, look, I, I don't know, I had a conversation the other day about uh, why I choose to archive in the present and not uh, dig in the past. Mm. Um, and something that feels very important to me is that the recording those around you and those that you see um, in order that they aren't forgotten later on is like a, a vital part of making sure that someone else can archive the past because um, they we we weren't able to do that or at least when we were doing it we weren't able to keep a record of it um, and now we have the kind of technology and means to do so um, it's it's worth doing it it's worth investing time in, in into it um, and I think the term archival activist is kind of I don't know it's really I find it really interesting because mm. um I find a lot of the people around me are so, in some way making archives of up, about their experiences or about those around them um but I guess often when the work uh, in, encounters and meets black people um it's not really seen as worth anything um and yeah. often the mm -hmm. the worth of it is decreased mm -hmm. just because of the those within it um mm -hmm. which I like which is so you know frustrating so often that yeah. work is lost and and i find the same thing is happening with um with black websites which is why i'm so uh, such a huge advocate for like online work is that um the real estate of black work on the internet black websites is extremely high but the density in which you can find it is extremely low so you can't hop to from one black website to another and instead you have to find it through a grapevine or a direct link sent to you um, and and the kind of same thing has happened in the physical world in which um, relics from black people are seen as discardable um, and often um, things are taken from them and used within a, a more like a colonial uh, or or maybe um, from in a in a company like Amazon would use like something to like advertise something rather than actually. Um, mm -hmm keep the original context of where, what it mm. came from. And we see that happen with like words, slang, all these things, like even um, Karens. <laughs> We've seen that happen with how the word Karen is being used on the internet now and how it's kind of changing to mean um, a wild woman instead of um, a white woman that uses her privilege uh, to put black people in danger. Um, and so for, for me, like I have this, um, yeah, I have this huge, desire to make sure that those around me are captured by those around me <laughs> rather yeah. than um, mm -hmm. leaving it up to someone to put the worth on someone else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, right. And yeah, because I think, because that's, that's something that you're talking about, June, I can't, uh, which you just quoted, I can't exactly remember what you said, um, but it made me just think of like context and content. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And what you do really well is that, yes, the archive is open for anyone to access it, but the context in which you put it in does not limit the space and the breadth of the work exactly. within it. Yeah. And you don't go, this yeah. is this is black film. You say, yeah. I am making an archive of film. Yeah. Yeah, mm. um, and, exactly. And everything in it just happens to be black. <laughs> um, exactly. Um, and that's something I re that's something that I I would consider like activism is that the fact that you're it's you're doing it rather than preaching it. Like, yeah. um, you can't help but encounter the work that's in your archive, June, which is for me it is, which is extremely important. It's not about um, appeasing anyone, but it's about um, keeping the the context and the things that you love and that you've seen and you've encountered um, alive for future generations to look back on and say, oh, mm -hmm. I can get a lot from this and take what I need from it. For me, Definitely. it's a term that I don't use and I don't mm -hmm. know who uses it to describe <laughs> what I do, but it's not a term that I use, archival, <laughs> archival activism. Same. Because, because the thing is, um, I mean, you're often putting categories that remove you from the, the 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 value of of the 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 industry that we're talking about. Mm. Um, we're talking about cinema. Uh, we're talking about archives in in film archives and film archiving, and that should be. And once they it's added, the the term activism next to it tends to be used to to put it outside of real cinema or real mm. film or, or quality. And like Danielle was just saying, it's, it's much more than activism. A, they need to value the work for mm. being film. And right. it's not, and they, it's a way that other people can only engage with it by putting it into a cultural, giving it this, this cultural specificity. Right. Yeah. They're not yeah. giving it, it's not, it's not, it's not real film, but, but we know and we do like cultural film. We do like black film. We do like this stuff and we understand it's activism that you're right. involved in. Yeah. No, it's about valuing cinema. It's about right. valuing film, exactly. valuing cinema. It's not just about activism. And this mm. is it. When you, when you are choosing to prioritise and to profile certain cinema that you believe should be profiled and appreciated, people can deal with that only as, as so long as you keep it in that, that category. Yeah. And it's not part of, you know, world cinema or major cinema. And that's the thing that I think we have to be careful of sometimes when these, these terms are placed on. They sound innocent, but when you, you check how they're used and then where they, where, what happens to um, how budgets are decided, how, mm. um, you know, where things can be shown, how audiences react to them, all those sort of things can be quite dangerous in, in um, um, you know, separating off and not Definitely. opening up uh, potential for, for this work, and which is what I'm interested in. Yeah, like something I think about often is um, 
So I, I, I often see when you're recording something or putting a story down, for example, that my mom tells me, I'm recording the method she uses to tell the story and the techniques that are used in order to carry us along that story, mm-hmm. um, which is something that like I, I, I feel about your archive, June, is that. And I, I mm-hmm. feel like often the way that we tell stories is the thing that I am so invested in because it, I, it feels so untapped. It feels yes. so, so oh, untapped. Right. Like the yeah. way my grandma can keep you on a hook for three hours um, <laughs> is something that no one no one else can really do. And she can yeah. insult you while doing it at the same yeah. time. This is yeah. the thing. Yeah. But you will still be there um, because it, it, the, the techniques she has is using uh, mm. are not being used now mm. and will not be used in, in mainstream mm. cinema for a while. Um, and the thing about archives is that... Um, I feel like when you when you know your audience and you make sure you center on on a particular audience, um, then you give them. You say, "Look at these tools that we have. Use them for those around yourself. Use them within your work. Use them within your projects. Um, don't just use the things that you can't find. Use the things that I'm allowing you to find now, which is why I find like archives so important. And every time I, I I, I counter one, I, I keep it with me is because um, often a lot of the things I'm encountering within it are things that don't sit well with me. It, not as in that bad or anything, but just because they're the so This was the context new. in which it happened. This was mm, the significance mm. of it. And the thing is, very often people real, don't realize that other people hadn't seen it. A lot of people mm. in terms of this sort of material that I'm talking about, about a lot of people hadn't seen it those that regard themselves as you know the the in the echelons may not have seen a lot of this work they can may be assuming a lot of things but they still have a lot to see and mm. that's why i think if people especially younger people that are coming to the medium or artists or whatever that are looking for for inspiration and that are looking to explore beyond what they already know or even beyond what is already on Mm. on the you know digitally available because Mm. the thing is (laughs) there is a lot of stuff digitally available but I'm telling you there's a hell of a lot that's not digitally available Mm. as well and so there is you know there there are you know physical archives that also need to be to be to be explored but mm. definitely, I think you're, you're right with people not not actually uh, looking in in the correct way or not mm. valuing in the correct way what what is is possible. But yeah. um, luckily, there are enough artists out there, and I think it is it is the artists I think that are dragging, you know, really doing a lot of the digging towards towards cinema. And um, in cinema, in cinema archives, film archives, Mm -hmm. and that is influencing everybody. It's influencing writers, it's influencing producers and people that are Mm -hmm. trying to make the connections across the art forms, but also across the medium, the Mm. the various media. Mm. Um, And your work, especially that links a lot of that, is yeah. is quite valuable i think in in um you know exploring and showing how um when you choose a particular um aspect that has been ignored or that has been undervalued 
um, how it can actually reveal so much more, not yeah. just about what it's saying, but about what what is possible through the medium. Right, and and um, it wasn't until recently um, that I actually found a a like a game designer called uh, Muriel Tramis um, from Martinique who. Ah. Back in 1987, created a game about Martinique from a story um, that uh, was from from the Martinique and based on also a real event, a volcano eruption that happened mm -hmm. that killed like uh, mm -hmm. 30,000 people. Wow. Um, and this was the this is the first time I have seen um, an archiving of a real place using game mechanics, mm -hmm. um, using the like imagery archiving real people mm -hmm. from in the in the industry like she's quite famous actually mm -hmm. um but that game is not famous and she also made a game yeah. called freedom which is about um uh slaves um finding each other and and getting their freedom um mm -hmm. which was i think she made that in 1989 i think that's what's really really exciting about like conversations like these as well because it's you know, it's crossing over space and time, which is what I think, you know, black people do as well in how we storytell, how we remember, how we share. Um, and it is inherently intergenerational and kind of cross-disciplinary and all of these things, which kind of continue to expand and, and evolve what we do. And, and so it, it really resists this notion that I think, especially living in cities like London and other like large western cities that are constantly on this very linear new 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 it's you know both of what you're doing is saying kind of stop and look and see what is around you and how you can interact with that and and the tools that are there that we are creating together that we are archiving together um and you know sitting with that and maybe that means physically going to sit at an archive and spend time with tapes or VHS or maybe that is online and navigating through, you know, a game space where actually you don't you don't know how long you're going to be in there or, or which direction you're going to go into, but it's kind of about expanding on that and kind of giving into to that a little bit, which I think, you know, becomes infinitely generative and means that they kind of you have to give in to how the way you're interacting with things and collecting things morphs and evolves and making space for each other in that way. Well, the thing is, it takes people a bit more time than clicking here and there. People are so used now to to finding or things easily online, and I think for archives, it it actually involves some investing some time, but it's usually time that's so well rewarded. Um, you know, whether it's and I'm talking about digital archives as well as as physical archive. I'd be really interested to just know kind of what you're working on at the moment. From this point, how do we continue to like move outwards and, and you know, what, what are you both kind of working towards or kind of projects that you're thinking about or areas of research and exploration you're particularly excited about at the moment? Um, so, so yeah, what I'm working on now, or a couple of projects I've done, one is about the history of the sea um, and trying to find a history of like blackness and black transness on the sea that isn't just entrenched in slavery, but is instead um, entrenched in how we and our ancestors um, use the sea. Mm -hmm. um, 
and um, ha- and that relationship with the sea, with the waves, with with its um, mm-hmm. with its like body uh, essentially, um, and also using motion capture um, to capture the movements of Black trans people and kind of create like an uh, archive of those motions, mm-hmm. um, and kind of like I so I I built um, oh gosh I don't know how many works now maybe ten works like based around that. Um, which is all going to be shown in the show. Um, but I, I'm also moving into uh, works around um, violence, um, but not centering violence, but instead talking about uh, violence within... Uh, so the medium I use often is video games, and often there's a lot of violence within video games. And it's something that I, I find quite annoying because often game video, violence in games feels very good. They make sure it feels very good, very satisfying, and makes you want to repeat it. Um, and so I'm trying to build games. Um, one of these games is like a, a gun game. And um, the premise is how can I make a gun game um, with centering black trans people that doesn't cause harm to any black trans person? Wow, that's uh, that's incredible. <laughs> that one, yeah. Um, um, well, I can talk about really one of the things that... that we're doing, we're focusing on at the moment. We've just come out of the whole of last year and into this year, um, the You Hide Me web, webinar series that we ran um, to do with the film You Hide Me, a 50-year-old film that's been in our archive since, well, since the archive, uh, the collecting started in, in the 80s. But it's with a filmmaker, a Ghanaian filmmaker that I know well. And who made this film? in 1970 in the basement of the British Museum, the one that you mentioned, You Hide Me. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is, uh, we, we because it's in the archive and with things in the archive, we do try to use anniversaries and significant developments to use those to showcase and to remember. And and so we, he and I discussed um, what we could do as, as 2020 was the 50th, 50 years, that film was 50 years old in 2020, 50th anniversary since the film was made. And so we decided to do, it was going to be a series of screenings and discussions, but COVID hit and they became webinars instead. Um, But one of the main things that we have to do and the the whole um, COVID situation has meant that we have to prioritise more than ever, is having a a digital presence. It will take forever to put this whole archive (laughs) uh, with a digital presence, but it should at least be um, searched so that people can see the materials or at least um, uh, see a listing of the materials. (laughs) That's what I'm doing with one hand. The other hand, uh, we are um, engaged with uh, sight and sound at the moment because we're relaunching the Blackfoot Bulletin magazine in, in, this, in this next issue, the issue that will come out uh, by the end of this month, this first issue, and we're oh, going to have a quarterly wow. supplement of the Blackfoot Bulletin in, in uh, Sight and Sound. So look out for that. So glad you mentioned that, because we can. Um, I'll definitely put a link to it in the in the episode information but thank you both so much for 
joining me. Um, I feel like I'm going to come back a lot to this conversation. It feels very enriching um, and exciting. And yeah, I'm very grateful to have spoken to both of you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in and please join us for the next episode. This series is supported by Lux, produced and edited by Sandra Jean-Pierre, soundscape by Ratiba Ayadi and designed by Joshua Wolford. A special thanks to our guests, Danielle Brathwaite-Shirley and June Giovanni. You Hide Me is a film by Ghanaian filmmaker Nikwate Owu, available to watch online and keep an eye out for news and announcements related to Danielle and June's work. See you next time.